Uh, it's fa- fantastic to be uh, with you guys. I don't know if you know me or remember me. It's so good to see so many new people to this church, um, but I, I've been here before, and it's good to see nice, uh, familiar faces, and then it's good to see nice new faces. So um, absolutely love Matt and Grace. I love the eldership team here. I love this church. I think this church is a great church. I love how friendly you are. I love the acoustics in here when it's time to chat with each other. You, there's so much joy and kindness and interaction with each other. It reminds me of home. So I, I just want to thank and commend you. Um, you're not just a church uh, ministering and serving pool. You're a church that has a global reach, and that is because you guys have facilitated uh, the ability for Matt to serve at, at really a, a global level with our movement of churches. He serves on the team, and then he ministers all over the world. We are blessed and benefited by them uh, taking t- some time to be with us in Texas just a few months back. They served us well, and it's so fantastic to growing friendship with them. I mean, it's been years now, um, uh, but it's been great. This week, Matt made a, the best lamb I've ever had, the big leg of lamb. I mean, it was cooked perfect. I don't know if you're hungry for lunch right now, but what he did was phenomenal. He has a gift. So uh, raise your hand if you want to be invited to Matt's house for lamb. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into it. Um, I want to serve you guys well and encourage you. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, but before we get there, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6. And so I'm going to read Galatians 6, 9, and then we'll get over to Nehemiah 4 in just a moment. Uh, Galatians 6, 9, here's what it says. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not grow weary in well-doing. Let's not get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a blessing, if we do not give up. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, and I don't presume that everybody's a Christian, but if you're a Christian, the amazing thing is God doesn't just save us and put us on the sideline in a corner No, he actually activates us and invites us to participate in the good things that he is doing around the world. And so if you're a Christian, the good news is you've been called to good works. Good works. Your life matters, and what you do makes a difference. That's encouraging, and that's hopeful. But what this text says is, why does, uh, or why does it say, let us not grow tired? Let us not grow weary. Because in doing the good work, we get tired, we get weary, we get disheartened. And that's part of the Christian life, and that's part of the Christian experience. And what I want to talk on this morning is how to push back that discouragement that comes knocking at our door, because it does come knocking at our door. We need to know the skill of how to resist it. It's part of growing in the faith. It's, it's really a skill of Christian maturity to be able to resist and push back discouragement when it comes knocking at our door. There's sometimes new Christians that think, like, if I'm going to become a Christian, then it's going to be all easy, right? It's going to be all easy, roses, rose petals, and no thorns. Uh, that is not the truth. 
And some, some people think, well, I must be doing the Christian thing wrong because it's so tough. And I want to tell you that even when you are doing good, you will still experience resistance and tiredness and weariness and, and discouragement. And just because you have discouragement knocking on your door doesn't mean that necessarily you're doing something wrong. It's in the good works that God has for us that sometimes we get discouraged. So you guys are called to good things. I just want to say, Gateway Church, not just in your individuality, but in your church, you are guys, you guys are doing great things. This is a beautiful church, and it matters that you're here in pool. It matters that you're a light into the city. It matters that you have a heart for others. It matters that you want to serve and rescue other people, that they would experience the saving power of Jesus. It matters. The next 10 years of this church matters. The next 20 years and 30 years of this church matters. You handing off the gospel and the mission of this church to the next generation, it matters. It matters so much. It matters so much. So what do we want to do with discouragement when it comes knocking at our door? I don't suggest we treat it like a pet. I don't suggest we welcome it in and feed it and cuddle it. And No, we want to see it as a danger and we want to push it away. Many people in this room uh, might be facing discouragement or situations that are bringing discouragement. Uh, maybe it's challenging and difficult times. Um, maybe it's situational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a tough relationship. Maybe you've experienced hurt in a relationship recently and you're struggling through it. And, and that process has been incredibly painful. Maybe you're just facing the grind of life, grind of everyday life, and um, the relentlessness of just seemingly difficult situation after difficult situation. Like sometimes I'm going through life, it's like, why can't it just be easy? And you're feeling, you're feeling tired, and you're feeling weary. Maybe you're working on your marriage. Maybe you're here, and you're wanting, considering to give up on the faith. Because it's just so hard and there's so much struggle. Wherever you're at, maybe you're in a good spot. If you're in a good spot, there's, there's a role for you today. We'll get to that in a bit. But if you're in a difficult spot, I, I want to encourage you. Encourage you. Nehemiah 4 gives us a good template of understanding what discouragement does, but also gives us a good template to understand what to do with it. What are we supposed to do when discouragement comes knocking at our door? And this isn't something that like I am, uh, I am immune to. Like in, in the last little while, I mean, there's so many things awesome. There's great things happening in the life of our church. And, and, um, and there's so many things to praise God about. But it's just amazing how even in the good stuff, discouragement comes knocking at your door. Everything's good except for one relationship. And that one relationship can lead you into discouragement. That's, what's, that's what I've been wrestling with over the last you know, a couple months. Dif difficulty. It's like, God, you're doing so much awesome. Why is this thing bothering me so much? And just having to run to God and enter into this practice of pushing back discouragement. So 
Nehemiah 4. Let me give you some background and then we'll get into it. You guys good? We good? Woo woo. I preach better if you smile at me. I mean, I don't, I don't know everybody in this room, but if you smile, that's great. So, all right, here's the background. The people of God are in exile. They're in Babylon in captivity. It's been 70 years. Bad situation. And then God puts it on Nehemiah's heart to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's an amazing thing. So God puts it on his heart. All these amazing, miraculous faith steps occur where Nehemiah is in Jerusalem with the finances, with the people, and they start building the wall. It's an incredible and amazing story. And so they have started the wall, and here we get to Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4, 6. Here's Nehemiah talking in the first person. He says this, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. Half its height, they're halfway done. That's incredible. For the people had a mind to work. But when Samballad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble, and by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from us uh, directions and said, came from all directions and said to us, ten times, you must return to us. Here we see in these few verses how discouragement can settle in in our hearts because that is what is transpiring and happening right now in the text. Discouragement is starting to take root in the people of God's hearts. So how does this happen? Well, step one to discouragement is tiredness and weariness. Verse 10, it says, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. They're starting to realize, even though they're halfway done, instead of being encouraged by the fact that they're halfway done, no, they're starting to realize this isn't easy. They're tired. They're worn out. They're thinking to themselves, we can't keep this pace. This is taking way longer than expected. When weariness and tiredness comes, we become vulnerable to discouragement. So they're tired. That's step one. Step two is it's more difficult than they expected. Here's what they say in verse 10. There's too much rubble. Here's what's happening. They're caught off guard. Not only are they supposed to build the walls, but they find out there's rubble everywhere from the ruin of the city. And they have to remove, not only have to build the wall, but they have to remove all this rubble. All of a sudden, they're caught off guard. And they're like, man, this is way more difficult than I thought. Now we have to move all this trash. You ever experienced this in life? like, oh, this thing's going to be easy. I got this thing down. Like, I'm going to be amazing at this thing. It's going to be great. I'm going to have an amazing marriage, pre-marriage. I know how to do this. I know. I got it down. You get married. Soon you realize it's way more complex than I thought it was going to be. There's way more skills needed in this thing. And this is oftentimes what happens. Tiredness, weariness, to complexity. It's way more difficult than I thought. 
So step three of self-doubt. Here's what they say. This is what they say. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the walls. You can see discouragement start to set in when they start entering into negative self-talk. I'm guilty of negative self-talk. How many other people in this room have been guilty of negative self-talk? It's like, this stinks. Why am I doing this? What is the point? I'm not accomplishing or achieving anything. I might as well give up and quit. There's no point. It's not worth it. I was under illusion that this thing was the right thing to do. I need to quit because it's not helping me. It's not helping anybody. Discouragement setting in. Tiredness, weariness. It's so complex to negative self-talk. And step four, we see this increased opposition. The enemy is at work. The enemy is at work, actively working. Verse 11 says, our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. These people are facing real intimidation, real threats, real fear. I don't know what it would be like waking up this morning and going, oh, wow, someone wants to actively kill me today. I mean, this is real, and they're facing it. And fear, when it grips our hearts, it kills morale. So what is happening here? This process is discouragement is starting to set in. Maybe you're in a place where you have actively taken steps. And you're at step four. And you're going, wow, I'm discouraged. The word discouragement literally means to lose strength or to lose courage. And if discouragement sets root in our hearts, then we'll lose the heart to continue. The good work that God has called us to do, the good work that Gateway has been called to, if discouragement sets in our heart, if we give it a foothold in our heart, we'll lose heart to continue. And God doesn't want us to quit. We have to push discouragement back. Here's what Proverbs 17, says. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. How many people have been in this spot? It's like, hey, my spirit's broken and I have no strength. We don't want to lose heart in the good work that God has called us to. I don't want you to lose heart to the good work that God has called us to. So the question is, how did Nehemiah respond to a group of people that had allowed discouragement to set in? Maybe Nehemiah was discouraged. We we don't know that in the text. But maybe Nehemiah is in process, like, God, we need help. What are we to do? And we see that... Nehemiah takes intentional steps to help him and the people push back discouragement from setting in. Here's what he does, Nehemiah 4, verse 14. And I look and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who has a good Scottish accent in the room. Anybody? Any volunteers? No, no volunteers? I'm... 
you surely you have a better Scottish accent than I do. Okay. All right, no volunteers. Do not be afraid. <laughs> I'm trying to do my best Braveheart right now. I love Braveheart. I am unashamedly a Braveheart fan. Uh, when I was 21 years old, I flew to England, and me, a, a group of guys, we rented a car from this back alley that probably was illegal, and we drove all the way to Scotland, and we got on the Battle of Bannockburg, and we ran down the field yelling freedom as loud as we can. <laughs> and then one of my friends, he, he uh, acted like he cut my uh, stomach open and pulled out my... In- oh, so that's too much. <laughs> Here's what he says. Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15, and our enemies heard that it was known to us and what God had frustrated their plans. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Here we see Nehemiah taking intentional steps to lead his people from being out of being discouraged. And here's the first point. I only have three points for you. But here's the first thing that he does. And this is the most important point out of all the points. And it's the most important thing that we can do. Here's what Nehemiah does. He calls the people to strengthen themselves in the Lord. He calls them to strengthen themselves in the Lord. What does he say? He says, remember the Lord. The first words out of his mouth are remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Nehemiah knows that what the people need isn't some nice catchphrase, not some mean sent to them, not some um, like quick little encouragement. Hey, you know, stick it out. You got this. Just keep on trying. Now, Nehemiah knows that they are sapped of power. They have lost heart, and they do not have the power or strength to continue. They need strength that comes from another source other than themselves. So he calls them to remember the Lord. And what he is doing is he's pointing to the nature of our God. Who do we believe our God is? Is he just like our cosmic therapist that just makes us feel warm and fuzzy when we're feeling down about ourselves? Or is is he the God of the universe? Is he great and is he awesome? But Nehemiah isn't just talking about the character of God, who he is presently. He's talking about the salvation work of God. He's saying, hey, remember the God of salvation. This is our God. He's awesome and amazing. Remember, as we as a people were in bondage to the Egyptians, and God rescued us. He took us out of bondage. He parted the Red Seas. We walked on dry ground, and we're walking towards the promised land as he closes the Red Sea on our enemies and smited, not smited, smote our enemies. That's what Nehemiah's doing. So we are the people of God. Do you, you know who God is? Like as followers of Jesus, 
Sometimes we forget who our God is. Sometimes we forget that our problems seem so scary, cause anxiety to well up in our heart, cause worry to flood our mind. And what Nehemiah is doing is saying, hey, your problems are not bigger than your God. Like you have allowed, you have gone through a process where you think your problem is bigger than your God. Remember who your God is because he's way bigger. And as we enter into this process of remembering the Lord, our problems that seem so big over here and our God who's so small and incapable, like we got to tip the balance scales and say, no, my God is much bigger and stronger than my problems. So we as Christians, what do we remember? We remember that we were saved and rescued by this mighty God of ours. He rescued us. He saved us. We are forgiven. We have a new life. We have a hope, and we have a future. We take verses like Philippians 1.6 that says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. We encourage our hearts with the truth. This is what Nehemiah tells Remember who your God is. Your God who saved you. It wasn't your plan. He saved you. He did it. He was the author of it. He has the power of it. You didn't have the plan. You didn't have the power. He did. And your God, who is awesome and great and mighty, has a future hope for you. He has a plan that he will fulfill, and there is nothing that can thwart his plan. Despite how you feel, despite your discouragement, despite your setbacks, your God, who started something, is strong enough and great enough to finish it. This is what Nehemiah's doing. Remember the Lord. The first thing that we do, we're discouraged and we're going to push it back. We have to go to our God and say, God, you're awesome and you're mighty and you're powerful. David was discouraged in uh, 1 Samuel and he was distressed in a big way. I mean, you think about David, he he's, has Saul attacking him, wanting to kill him. He has... Um, uh, the, the different surrounding nations wanting to kill him. And he is out there in the wilderness trying to fight back the enemy. And as he does it, the enemy comes and steals their families, all of his men's families, their, their wife and their kids. And they're distressed in a big way. In verse 6 it says, And David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Like, this is a bad spot. Like, you think about it. Like, you think you might have enemies. David had a lot of enemies. He has Saul. He has these nations. And everybody wants to kill him. I mean, there's more people that want his death than want him alive. The only people that still want him alive are his brothers. Like, the people that he's in arms with, the people that he's fighting with. And now they have turned on him. There's nobody left. There is nobody that's alive that wants David to continue to exist. Like, that's bad. What does David do? He says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David pushes back discouragement. Now, I want, we don't know how David specifically did this. We don't know how he actively strengthen himself in the Lord. We, we had a, a week this week with the six of us, uh, the, our team, and, and we were with each other morning till night, and 
and we had devotions in the morning, and one of the devotions we talked about what it looks like to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. It doesn't say how David did it, but like we're brothers, we're Christians. Like, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? And how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? I process this and thinking about it, like, like how do I strengthen myself in the Lord? Here is an equation I have for you. I'm just going to tell you how I actively strengthen myself in the Lord. I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, our street is on the NASA bypass. NASA's right at our door, and so we have a bunch of engineers at our church, and so I give them equations. Here's the equation that I have for you. Truth plus faith plus the help of the Holy Spirit. If we are going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, please listen to this because this is super important. Passivity, passivity will not get you out of discouragement. God is the one who strengthens you, but if you are passive and remain in a corner, you will not get out of discouragement. You gotta activate yourself. You gotta take intentional steps to trust and lean in God. So here's what it looks like for me. Like I need truth. I need truth, not just things that I know in my head, it's like, I know God is great and awesome. Okay, God is great and awesome. God will never leave me or forsake me. Okay, I know these things. But like so often, we, our reality isn't the truth that we profess. Our reality is our current circumstance. And we need to enter into a specific space where we allow the reality of the greatness of our God to get from our head. It's not just head knowledge, but we push it into our hearts where my heart's greatest reality isn't my problems, isn't my current predicament, isn't my current opposition. My reality is the greatness of God. So you take simple truths and you push them into your heart. It could be scriptures that you go back to. Like, he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. I get that verse from my head into my heart. And I do that by being active. I activate it by praying or by worshiping. You know, one of the things I often do is to, to start this process, not being passive, but to start this process of truth to my heart so that my heart will believe it and faith is activated by the help of the Spirit is I will uh, oftentimes go to the beach and walk along the beach and oftentimes I'm a little isolated from people so it gives me a freedom to be loud and vocal and I'll listen to some worship song. I'll listen to, and I'll, I'll just like listen to the worship song um, that I'm liking in the moment. And I'll just listen for a true statement in the song. I'll, whatever it is, like our God is great. As simple as that. It doesn't need to be complex. And you just sing it as loud as you can. You lift up your voice. You lift up your hands and say, my God is great. And oftentimes I will end up shouting unto the Lord. Being vocal and loud. Sometimes if I can't go to the beach, in the car as I drive, shut the doors and scream out to the Lord, God, I'm struggling, but you are the God who is eternal, who is all-powerful. You know what you're doing, and I choose to trust you. Taking the truth and getting it to our hearts. 
that it becomes our great reality. Like Joshua, like so many examples in Scripture, ton of examples. They're told to do things like be strong and courageous. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. So how does Joshua do that? It's like, okay, I'm just going to buck up. <laughs> it doesn't work. There's nothing in him of himself that's going to say, okay, I'm going to force myself to be strong and courageous. No, there's always something that we can anchor our strength to and our courage to. Here, look at, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Like in that line right there is the strength and power and courage that we need. It's like, my God saved me. He's my rescuer. He's the great deliverer. But God's awesome and mighty. And... As I participate in the good things that God has called me to do, he is going to be with me wherever I go. Like, that is awesome. Like, what if that truth got into your heart? Your God is with you. As Christians, Jesus, before he ascended, gave the great commission, go into all the world, making disciples. What does he say? And lo, I'm with you always. I will be with you always. That's this great promise that we have in the good works that he's called us to, in the good works that he's called you to. Whether you're trying to restore your marriage or whether you're trying to evangelize to your coworker, the good works that he has called you to, he is with you. You're not alone. Let's get that truth into our hearts. I have a friend. Um, he, uh, I, th- I might have told you this because I think I preached on being wholehearted years ago. Uh, but so many new faces, so you haven't heard this. He says when he wakes up in the morning, he just doesn't even feel like a Christian. He's like, he feels miserable. He doesn't feel like a Christian until about 9 a.m. But he wakes up, he gets his coffee, and he goes through this process. He sits at his table, and he says, I reach into my chest, I pull my heart out, I slap it on the table, and I begin to speak to myself. Like David did in Psalms 42. Why are you so downcast? Why are so much turmoil within you? Why are you so overwhelmed? Put your hope in God. Speaking to himself. Preaching to himself. It's biblical. It's a practice that we need to engage in. It's part of growing in Christ. It's part of Christian maturity. Discouragement will knock on your door. and We have to push it back. Second thing that we need to do, and don't worry, my next two points are going to be much quicker, okay, is we need to fight back, and we need to refuse to quit. This is what he says, fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your home. Like, we have to resist the opposition. We have a very real enemy. Satan wants to our demise. He wants us to stop the good work that God is calling us to do. We need to push back and resist discouragement. We need to push back the desire to quit. We need to take an active posture of resistance. Scripture says in Ephesians 6, having done all to stand, stand. It's like, I am not going anywhere. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to run away. Having done all to stand, I'm going to stand knowing that God is with me. And this is the good work that he's called me to do. And I'm not going anywhere. Refusing to get quit. This is what we see the people do. What does he do? Remember the Lord, resist the enemy, 
And what do they do? We're going to get back to work. We all returned, each one to his work. It's this refusal. The enemy wants us to quit, and we're not going to quit. He wants our demise. We have the Lord on our side. We are not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop doing the good things that God has called us to do. Now, here's how it applies to us. The application for the Israelites is that they had to continue the wall. But what's the application for each one of us? Well, I think the application is that we have to determine to take the next right step. We have to determine to take the next right step. Again, passivity isn't going to get you out of discouragement. There's no hope there. We have to be active in our faithfulness and obedience to God. Now, here's what I know. You might be in a, if you're discouraged, you might be in a bad spot. You might be like discouraged, like David was, distressed. And when distress comes, you get all confused. You get in a brain fog. You can't think clearly. And you don't know what's going on. But if you're a Christian, here's what we believe. We believe that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper, a comforter, the one who walks alongside of us. In addition to this, we have the word of God. I believe that every Christian, every single Christian, knows what the next right step is. You know what the next right step is. And, and, and what you need to do, what I need to do, when we're walking out of discouragement and keeping it at bay, is just to take the next right step. Now here's the deal. Taking the next right step doesn't mean that you know what the second step is going to look like or the third step is going to look like. You might be going, God, I, I, I can't take a step because I don't know where I'm going. And, and we have to just release the control and the, and the desire to know when we're in a confused state. We just have to say, we have to do the next right thing. I'm taking this step, and I'm taking this step not knowing what the next step is going to look like, but God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of confusion, and I'm going to be active and obey you and trust you and take the next right step that you're calling me to. So what is the next right step you're supposed to be doing? Maybe you're in a tough spot. If you're Christian, God's giving you the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is the next right step for you? And then lastly... This is our last point. Rally together. Rally together. In verse 13, we see that Nehemiah puts each person with his family. Now, this is important. This is the principle. No one is to be alone. As we are participating in the good work that God has for us, no one is to be alone. There's nobody that should be fighting in isolation. Nobody that should be facing difficulty and, and discouragement and distress alone. Like we are meant to do this together in community. The church is a family. No one is to be alone. And here's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah 4.19 says, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great. And widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from each other. So here's, here's how we apply this. Like, we have to recognize, like, Sunday morning, this is pretty much the only time that we all gather together. The rest of the time, we are spread out. The work is great. 
You're all over pool, beyond pool. You guys are going this way and that way, working different schedules. You are all over the place as you are continuing to be faithful to Jesus and do the good work that he's called you to. So what's the solution? He tells us in verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. What he's saying? What is he saying? He's saying, hey, if you're facing opposition, if you're facing the attack of the enemy, if, if difficulty is coming your way, you need to blow your horn. Have you blow your horn. What is he saying? He's saying indicate that you're being attacked. Now, I know you're amazing people in this room. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's saying to yourself, you know what? Uh, if someone asks for help, I'm going to refuse. I don't care about their problems. No, I, I'm sure you guys are all generous hearted. I'm sure you care for each other. I'm sure if you find out that someone's in need in this church, that you guys rally together and help. But that's not the challenge of this passage. The challenge of this passage is that if someone's being attacked, they have a job to do, and that's to blow their horn. If you're facing difficulty, if you're facing opposition, if you know the enemy is at your door, you have to override your pride. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable and transparent and blow your horn and say, I need help. I'm in this battle right now. I'm, I'm facing the enemy and, and it's really dark in my life right now. And I need some brothers and sisters. I need my family members to rally around me and encourage me. You know the word discouragement? This is to take off. Discouragement. To take off courage. It's like a robe of courage. So the enemy, you have... You're encouraged, you're walking around, being faithful with the good work that God's called you to do, and your, 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 your robe is beautiful and nice, and you're proud of it, and what's the enemy want to do? He wants to rip that robe off. He wants to pull it off and strip it from you, and there's all kinds of opposition and challenges trying to rip the robe of courage off you. Some of us are... Positions in our life where the robe of courage has been ripped from us. So what's the solution? The solution we see in the New Testament that we're commanded to do over and over again is to encourage. What is that? It's to pick up the robe of courage and to place it back on our brothers and sisters. It, it's not like being part of the family is about being polite. It's not about being polite. It's like, uh, uh, excuse me, um, I don't want to intrude, but perhaps you would want some encouragement. That is not family. Family is like, you have been disrobed of courage. We are going to encourage you whether you like it or not. Like, you don't want to listen to us? You don't want to meet with us? We're coming to your home, and we're going to force you to be encouraged.
We need each other to keep discouragement at bay. We need each other. We need to be actively encouraging each other. Galatians 6, 9 says this, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap of harvest a blessing if we do not give up. This is an amazing statement. The encouragement is to keep on going. Not because God doesn't know what he's doing or because God's plan for you is to just keep you miserable doing the same difficult thing after difficult thing with no end in sight. Our God is good, he's gracious, he's generous, he's kind, he's benevolent. He will be faithful to his promise. There is a harvest of blessing. We will reap. And I want to say to you, you will reap if you do not give up. Keep on trusting in the Lord. And I want to say to you as a church, because you're a beautiful church, and the enemy would do, love nothing more than to take this church out. You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Gateway, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So I pray that the Lord would strengthen you in powerful ways. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you, your faith would be activated, that you can continue to trust in him. Let me, let me pray. God, thank you for this beautiful church and this congregation. And God, I pray, Lord, for those that are facing what seems like a Goliath, of discouragement and darkness, I pray, Lord, that by your power, you would strengthen every single heart that's trusting in you to push back discouragement in their life, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you minister, would you comfort, and would you give strength to each person here to choose to trust you and see you as bigger than their problems, bigger than their circumstances. In Jesus' name.